Let me tell you a little bit about Tyler Durden. Tyler was a night person. While the rest of us were sleeping, he worked. He had one part-time job as a projectionist. See, a movie doesn't come all on one big reel. It comes on a few. So someone has to be there to switch the projectors at the exact moment that one reel ends and the next one begins. If you look for it, you can see these little dots come into the upper right-hand corner of the screen. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Why would anyone want this shit job? Because it affords him other interesting opportunities. Like splicing single frames of pornography into family films. So when the snooty cat and the courageous dog with the celebrity voices meet for the first time in Reel 3, that's when you'll catch a flash of Tyler's contribution to the film. Nobody knows that they saw it, but they did. Nice big cock. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Gabe? Yes. You got a holder. You're holding. Is it sound better this week? Does my mic sound better to you two today? No, it sounds just as bad as it usually does. And this, the mic is good. It's the stand that sucks. What can I do? The mic's not that good. We got that mic in the early days. We didn't know if we were going to do more than an episode or two of this. <laughs> we might need to. Maybe we can crowdsource a better mic for yours. <laughs> yeah, we're going to crowdsource. <laughs> I think I need a more stable environment to actually put the mic. Then it'll sound better because I'll be able but to. But I, I just heard you touch. Did you just touch the bass again? I touched it. Don't touch it. He no can't touch. stop touching his base. It's a flimsy stand, and I the mic doesn't so your base. stand on its own. So, it's, so we're it's playing better at than, the... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. It's better than it was, but it's not perfect. <laughs> All right. So we're getting ready to play the Taste of Chicago in Grant Park this Sunday on the Practicing? 10th. Practicing? Yeah, yeah, we're practicing. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course we're practicing. We don't want to suck. Bringing out some stuff you haven't played in a while, I hear, maybe. Says no? who? I'm just saying it. What do you mean you're just saying? You said you heard. It's just me saying I heard something. I'm just being like Trump. People are saying. <laughs> Please don't be like Trump. Don't talk to your base. I don't have Gabe, a base. It, Gabe, is there a local age song that you haven't heard for a while that you would love to hear if you were in Grant Park on Sunday? Well, Grant Park is like a, it's a Never public mind show. Never mind the venue. What? No, but you don't want to ask a band to play a deep cut at a show like this. Why not? Is it a festival? It is a Taste of Chicago um, in Grant Park this Sunday yeah. on the 10th. A lot of casual we're opening, fans. Oh yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, we're opening for drive-by truckers. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I mean, here's the thing. If they're casual fans, who gives a fuck anyway? They probably only know one song. What do you care? I don't know. You, you kind of have different set lists for different occasions, and this is that one of those occasions where you're playing in front of people that may or may not have heard the band before. True. You're not so, wrong. To answer Ben's question, point. to answer Ben's question, what I would like to hear is something like this, something I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, I, I like to hear early B sides or even earlier, like stuff in the first record. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Getting crazy there, man. I hear you've been playing a lot of Strict Nine lately. That's always been one of my you favorites. You said you were in charge. Hey, one of these <laughs> days, one of these days, I'm going to insist before I die. 
that I get to make a set list. You've never gave... in the history of Local H and all your years touring never made the set list? No. Scott, have wow, I ever made a set Scott, list? Scott, that's a little, that's one, what do you, oh. Kate doesn't helped. know what it takes to make a good <laughs> set list. <laughs> now, I mean, I, I don't mean that as a slight against Gabe, and I know uh, it can be taken as a slight against Gabe, but Gabe doesn't understand which songs are tuned down, which songs no, are no, tuned no, up. No, 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 I do. I know this stuff, but you I, do. I would... <laughs> okay, then fucking make the set list. No, you I'm make just, the set list. I can for suggest, Chicago. I can suggest the songs you would play, and you pick the order. I don't care but, about the order. But the you order do is that... the most important. One of the most important parts of the set list. You don't care it's, about the order. It's true. Uh, it's almost like programming a film festival. But we'll, we'll get into that later. Uh, <laughs> all right. Okay. We got 45 minutes, Gabe. Give me, give me your list. Go. Now? Put me on a spot? Yes. No. Come on. No, because th- <laughs> there's a set list I would like to suggest one day where you play four songs. Well, what do you run. think is the best opener? What's the best local H opener? Uh, Buffalo Trace is one of my favorite openers. So you want us to play that? Well... I didn't say that, but I'm just saying it's one of their best openers because I Buffalo Trace. I don't, I don't give two shits. I always love when you open with that because it's like okay, the sound man can get dialed in, and you can get <laughs> dialed in, and you guys can play it however you want it, long, short. You know, there's there's different lengths of that song. Isn't it's true. There? Did you yeah. know that's good? Di- well, <laughs> it's true. There is a different way to open it, especially if it's an opener. You can you can start it the Pink Floyd way, which is fun. Yeah. All right, what's next? What's the second song? Oh, I don't know. <clears throat> After Buffalo Trace, uh, I don't know. That's standard tuning, right? Yes. Okay, see? I don't know what I'm talking about. Look at that. Look at yeah. that. So you're not going to you're not going to break it down to a different drop D. You'd keep it there. Got to keep wanna, it. And you, you go bring into it up a little like, bit. Uh, what do you got? Well, I don't know. Just put me on the spot here. I can't do the whole set list. I I'd like to see you play a 45-minute set with four songs. Wow. We've done that before. Uh, recently? Yeah. No. But uh, have we? But we're not going to do that this time. I know, I know. But one day, maybe. After Buffalo Trace, who knows? Who knows? Uh, is Heaven on the Way Down tuned down? No, it's standard. But you okay. don't get any credit for that because Heaven on the Way Down comes after Buffalo Trace on the record. So there's nothing. <laughs> I do get not, credit. That's for not, it. That's not no, you thinking. No, that's that's just listen, you taking what I've already done. I'm one of the few people that can say that I've heard the songs live more than I've heard them on record. You know what I'm saying? No. Yes, there's not many people. There's probably a handful of people. You can put them on one hand and say, "I've heard these songs more live than I've seen them or listened to them on the record." You never went on tour for PJ Souls. No, but. You've that just means you don't shows. listen to the record much. Just like you don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, I listen to the record. I listen to it a lot before the record comes out. And then after it comes out, I stop. I've got an idea for you, Scott, for Taste of Chicago. You should be doing a Taste of Local H. And you should do like mm. a Stars on 45 thing where you somehow do a medley that covers all of your album tracks in I like 45 this. minutes. Now see, Gabe, this is thinking. We're not going to do it, but this is definitely <laughs> thinking. It's an like idea, this. but it's preposterous. <laughs> like Prince used to do. Prince yes, used to like play like a exactly. verse and a chorus, and then he just exactly. could move on. Sure. Oh, that's, that's a great idea. Taste of Local H at the Taste of Chicago. I'm writing this down. This. I mean, even if you, even if you don't good. do that, you could do like a 10-minute Taste of Local H. You could, you could do a medley of like five big hits that you don't really want to play, but you're like, okay, I guess we should do these. I mean, all right, uh, uh, let's just... When we say five big hits, we know that... I don't want to hear anybody going, you don't have any big hits. I know that. But yeah, we, we refer to them uh, ironically as hits. Staples <laughs> is, is, is more. The staples, yeah. The staples is what we more. Speaking of staples. Yes. Man, Mavis Staples. Whoa, she was great. This past weekend at Hot Stove Cool Music at the Metro. It was a she success. was so nice. She was backstage. She was like, all right, y'all, I'm going to go on stage. You know, just like all smiles. So we all run up there to watch her play, and she just opens her mouth and just 
fucking history comes out of it. Just like, all right now, who's ready? I was like, whoa. I mean, it was heavy. It was cool. It was really cool. How was the whole thing? How was your whole, was it two days worth of concerts or one day? Yeah, it, it almost, it, it, it's almost like three days of camp, you know, because like the, the first day we all get together and rehearse the songs. And, and uh, then the second day we all get together and um, play a bunch of covers. Uh, and this year it was like some cover songs from The Police, R.E.M. and The Re- Replacements. And then the third day was the actual show. Um, and so that was, that was, I don't know, maybe the most fun I've had in st- on stage in a long, long time. Played a couple of police songs with Juliana and uh, we played Hole in My Life and Hungry for You. Then we played a couple of ELL songs. Got, got a bunch of people on stage. Did Can't Get Out of My Head and Don't Bring Me Down, which is, it was fun. A lot of fun. It looked like you were having fun. I, I saw a couple of clips of it on, on somebody's somebody posted a few clips. The funny yeah. part, the funny part on the "Don't Bring Me Down," I, I got to bring this up. When the breakdown comes and you got to start clapping, yeah. I mean, that's pretty quick to take the the guitar, stop playing, and then get to the clap. I mean, that's, that's gotta did be you hear tough. my guitar just went? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow Juliana was able to make her guitar stop. Maybe she stepped on a pedal, but I just like started clapping, and my guitar was. Like, <laughs> It was pretty cool, though. I, I was digging it. Very cool. Yeah. One of the better ones. Yeah, man. You know, just being on stage with her and being on stage with uh, her band, Ed, who we had on the was show. Was he feeling better? Did Ed recover from Ed's COVID? feeling fine. He's feeling great. And Chris, the drummer, uh, the next day, I took him out for a uh, pizza bang bang. Uh, that was kind of a failure. But, oh, no. you know, well, we were talking about the, the pizza and the New Haven thing. Right. And, uh, and I feel like Ed never ventures out. So I took him to Diagostino's to show him that, yes, we can do thin crust here. Right. And then the plan was to take him to uh, Pequod's, and, you know, and then we'll do the, the, the pan pizza right. And then we get all the way over to Pequod's and they're like, yeah, we don't have any openings until nine. Oh. And this was like three in the afternoon. Oh my like, God. I'm like, ah, come on, man. Can I just put my name down and maybe we'll get a place at the bar? No, 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 no. It was insane. It was insane. So I kind of felt like a failure. We went back. We ended up going back to Diagostino's and getting some pan pizza from them, hmm. which is, which, which is good. It's, pretty goddamn good what they got going on over there did ed like the the thin crust he loved it good he loved he loved that's the, no uh, failure he loved the pan as well did frida wind up playing frida did play yep she got up and played uh elo with us she played a couple of um some girl songs with juliana that's nice yeah yeah it was it was she seemed really happy, but you know, it was, was it emotional that it was her last? I think it was a little emotional. She was a little teary. Um, I think it was emotional for her bandmate, uh, dog, dog, Julian. Uh, but yeah, I think, but it was all, it was all good. It was a really good vibe back there, you know, but the replacement songs were a lot of fun to play. They were a lot of fun to play. Which ones did you wind up playing? We did Alex, Alex Chilton, Can't Hardly Wait. Uh, unsatisfied bastards and I'll be you, which was which was a lot of fun too. So who's singing lead on all those songs? I sang lead on all of them. You I wasn't did? supposed to, yeah, I wasn't supposed to sing lead. God on all damn! Of them, but I did. Is there tape of this? I need to hear. This. I don't think there is, but I think we're gonna get um, Ed to move here to Chicago, and we're gonna start a uh, replacements cover band because it was pretty good. Wow, it wasn't bad. Great. Yeah. What have you guys been up to? Uh, did a little Fourth of July viewing of fireworks. Yeah. It was kind of strange after what happened. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that. But, no, let's uh, fucking talk about it. It was. It, it's just weird being in a crowd of people on a occasion like that after what happened in Highland Park. I mean, it was just. Yeah. You know. 
I'm yeah, it was a real there. bummer. I didn't want to do anything yesterday, you know. Yeah, I was. I didn't want to do anything either. Yeah, man. It was. But I didn't want to. I didn't want to sit inside and do nothing, you know. I know, because then you feel, you know, like the bastards win. But it's just kind of like, and you know, you've got people here in this city who see the. Uh, the was the open carry in New York. Now they're trying to exploit that here to like make uh, laser sights legal. And it's just like, I, I just think how much more damage this fucking kid could have done with laser sights. Well, you know, when police and they do this all the time now, when the one, when they make their statement about these mass shootings and the, whoever the spokesman is, the one of the first things they always say is, yeah, he, he purchased this gun legally. Yeah. I'm assuming they're saying that because they're trying to say, hey, fucking assholes. Yeah. This shit is legal and it shouldn't be. Yeah. I think like so, why too. why else say it, right? I think so, too. I think so, too. And, you know, right away, people are like, oh, shooting in Chicago. It's like, mm-hmm. it's because of you fucking liberals. No, 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 man. This guy was not a product of the liberal agenda. Okay. Can we just say that right now? And, and that, you know, that's, that's the end of that. But, uh, you know, why are we even wasting our breath right now? Nobody's going to do anything. Nothing's going to get done. Everyone's made their choice. The Supreme Court doesn't give a fuck what you or I think. Here we go. Well, you see these amazing headlines from last night where they're saying crowds. There was chaos around the country because crowds at fireworks displays left and right were running away because they were hearing these yeah. fire fireworks and firecracker pops thinking they were bullets. And it's like there's no such thing as irony anymore because the fireworks displays were all about like replicating the sound of, you know, war, right? It's like right. it's supposed to be like, well, we're not at war right now, but we're celebrating the Revolutionary War with all this fucking, these things that look, look and sound like cannons and, and guns. And now we're living in a country that we can't even celebrate like that because people think it's the real fucking thing all over right. again. No, no. It's replicating the sound of us getting gunned down. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> all I could think of was walking right. the dog last night. During the, I was like, I'm going to go out and watch the fireworks and walk the dog. I'm like, right. no, this is making me nervous. Never mind Why bother caring. with fireworks anymore? We have those exactly. sounds every fucking day exactly. in this country. Yeah. No, it's... It's a pickle, George. It's a pickle. Gabe, who we got on the show today? You're asking me. The asking the, the, the least educated film buff. I wouldn't listen. Listen, do you think that Ed McMahon knew everybody who was coming on to the Tonight Show and had a you know a rich history with them and knew what they were all about? All right, all right. First, be a professional. Scott, first, say. Scott says I got to be like. Peter Grant or Peter Baker. Who, who's the guy from Led Zeppelin? Peter Grant. You don't. Peter even... Grant. I'm working as the tour manager of local agent. Scott says, be like Peter Grant. Now Ben says, I got to be like who? Ed McMahon on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Julian Santos. He's the... Nope. Huh? Nope. <laughs> I'm bad. Let's go back one more time. Go on. Julian Take Antos. Two. Sorry. Oh, Julian Antos. Yeah. Who's, right. who's the other guy? Julian Antos. He is... The man at the music box. He is the man at the music box. Yes, he's the technical director over at Music Box. Go on. The man behind the curtain. That's right. Behind the curtain. Some yeah. people think that they just press buttons, press play, and they go. <laughs> Who are these people? He doesn't. Who he doesn't do people? that. <laughs> he is the guy that keeps things moving, so you don't notice anything going on except the movie being planned correctly, right? He does. He does. And I mean, this is something that. Most people wouldn't even know, Gabe, when you would watch a movie. Do you remember seeing that like little cigarette burn in the side, the upper right hand of the screen? Never noticed it. Never, never noticed it. And then, you, and then that would be the, the signal. The cue. The one, the cue. And then Julian would go, okay, here it comes. And then there'd be the next one. And then he'd change reels. And you would never know it. But those of us in the know... We know what's coming, and then we go, all right, is he going to do it? Is he going to stick the landing? And Julian always sticks the landing. Because when it comes back, it has to be in focus. It has, you know, it's two different projectors back there. Now, when I was working at the Dunes, I had the, uh, what, what is known as a platter system. So we would put the movies together on the platter, and it would run through the projector. It was much easier than what Julian has to deal with. 
And with him doing the 70 millimeter film festival, doubled the difficulty level, right? Right, Ben? Yeah. You know, I was talking to Bob Murawski, whose credit I just saw on something. But he uh, he's the guy who edited um, Other Side of the Wind, the Orson Welles movie after, you know. Kramer's favorite movie. Kramer's favorite movie. Uh, I was talking to Bob Murawski, and he was explaining to me not only projectionists have to worry about those real changes, mm-hmm. but that as an editor, or no, it wasn't even Bob Murawski. It was the guy who edited Terminator 2. Uh but anyway, he said that editors yeah. would concentrate on when the real changes would come and try to make sure that those real changes didn't occur at a critical moment in the storytelling of whatever the film was. Or they because would a lot be of at times, a critical moment so that like you'd feel like a shift in, in what was happening and you know the, there'd be an extra hard cut that the audience would just sort of feel it. Right. Yes. So, but we're, they were always aware of when those real changes would come and, and edit around those real changes, whether, as you say, to heighten the effect of a cut or to try to make it so that if the, that if the, if that real change got fucked up, you weren't missing a critical line of dialogue. Right. I mean, it's also better to, if you're going to change the scene, you know, you're going to mm-hmm. go to a completely different right. scene. It's better to do that than have it be in the middle of, in the middle of the scene, for instance. Right. Gabe, any of this? Nothing? No, I'm following it. It's like when I used to make mixtapes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have Preach. the end of the side be cut in the middle of the song. And I used to do that all the time for everybody. I would have a song get cut at the end. Of, so what? Just give it to them anyway. And I would never hear the end of it. My brother Tom used to say, oh, you remember that tape you made for me with Dag Nasty? That song always gets cut at the end. I'm like, I hate it. That's what you're talking about. And then yeah. he would always hear it that way. Like for years... There are certain movies right. that, you know, I, I still know where, where the real change is. And when, even when I watch them and you don't see the, the little, what, what are those things called? The little cigarette burns. On, they call on them the cigarette thing. burns. Yeah. I feel like there's a better, I don't know if I like cigarette burns. They're the Q, they're Q marks or, uh, but you don't see this on Blu-ray or, or DVD or it depends on if they're, if, if they're using it from an old print. If there's an old print that's not digitally cleaned up, you can still see it. A Q mark, also known as a Q dot, a Q blip, a changeover Q, or simply a Q, is a visual indicator used with motion picture film prints. I guess cigarette burn is the best. Yeah. So, yes, so Julian, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a big, this is a big episode for me. I'm kind of, you know, this is like Gabe meeting uh, some fucking wrestler or something like that. Wrestler? No, I wouldn't have <laughs> any wrestling. It'd be like me interviewing Rick Frober. Mankind. <laughs> what if he met Mankind? Who? Isn't that the name of some wrestler? Yeah, it's uh, Nick Foley. Nick Foley. Mick Foley. Mick, Mick Foley? Foley. Nick Foley? Um, Mick Foley. Uh, I Nick Foley regret. <laughs> no, uh... It'd be like me interviewing John Reese if we ever had the chance Who? to bring him on the show. Speedo. Dude, it's never going to happen. Listen, it can happen, but he would be the hardest interview of all time because this dude doesn't know how to keep things. I asked him already. He said, Harder nah, than man. Froberg? He said, nah, man, Rick says you guys suck. I'm not coming on the show. <laughs> I'm not getting within 10 feet of that Gabe Rodriguez guy. I think I held that together. Oh, is that what you think? Have you listened to it recently? I can't. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> It'd be like listening to your early demos. Maybe not hey. like that. <laughs> hey, everybody. It's Julian Antos. <laughs> Julian, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. I'm talking to you. Julian is the technical director over at the Music Box. He's uh, one of the founders of the Chicago Film Society, and he's also my hero. Thanks for doing this, Julian. Thanks. I had no idea. What a compliment. <laughs> oh, I've been enjoying your work for, for ages. You just got done with the 70 millimeter Film Festival. How was it for you this year? Uh, it was great. It was a lot of work, as it always is, but this was uh, technically one of our smoothest years yet. Um, I've been involved in the festival for uh basically since i started working at the music box and uh 
uh, every year there's a few surprises that pop up from a technical standpoint. Um, and this year there was almost nothing. <laughs> almost. So was, what was yeah. the almost though? Uh, I would say just a lot of, a lot more prep work than usual, just because we hadn't done it since the pandemic. Um, usually we have about a year, year and a half in between festivals. And this time there was just a lot of, a lot of prep work involved to getting the machines ready and uh, making sure everything was in good shape and ready to go. Um, so, I mean, are you working out of the same projectors, but just, uh, just modified for 70 or is it yeah just- they're the same the same as 35 um we're running century jj's which are an american made projector that was introduced in i think the mid 50s um it's a great projector however when they designed it they really used all the guts of the 35 machines they made and just made everything a little wider um, the more, there's a more robust 70 millimeter projector that's made in Germany that's like built like a tank and the gears uh-huh. are way oversized <laughs> uh, and it weighs like a literal ton. Um, but ours are uh, ours are probably the most common of the 70 millimeter projectors in use now. Um, but they do take a little finessing to get everything just right. Um, right. So this festival started. What was it? 2011. Was that the first year? Um, that sounds about right. I mean, did this that's, all come that's out of slightly that's... Bef- slightly before my time. Okay. Um, so, I mean, was this did this all come out of that screening of the master or I mean, what was the Yeah, impetus? the the master was um really the first time in a long time up to that point that there was actual interest in 70 millimeter film. Um prior to that, uh the last 70 millimeter release was i want to say titanic or something like that it it had been a very long time um since a, a hollywood movie was was released that way um and ever since then the momentum has sort of kept kept going and it's been really strong um when hateful eight came out that was that was really crazy for us uh it was uh you know, line line around the block, that sort of yeah. thing. Um, and yeah, ever since then, the public interest in, in 70 millimeter presentations has been really strong. Um, even for for titles you wouldn't necessarily expect, you know, like sort of uh, uh, there's there's the blow up prints films which were not shot on 70, but were released that way in the 90s and and 80s. Um, and people come out for that stuff in droves, so it's uh, it's really exciting. Right. I mean, some of those blow-ups like this year that I thought looked really great was, I thought that blow-up of Flatliners looked pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, just an awesome print. <laughs> yeah. But it had that really weird thing around the eyes that was red. What is that? We were, uh, we were wondering if that was like a weird lab thing or something to do with the way the film was processed. I haven't seen that film before, so I can't like... I, I don't have a reference point for it, right. um, but it was it was a little peculiar, um, and I don't know if it's like it was like an intentional processing thing or not. I can't um, believe it was intentional. There was yeah. something going on, but I'd never seen that before. Yeah, it was at least it was for a movie that kind of fit, you know, kind of yeah. like a weird. Yeah, I love I, I love that stuff. Um, I mean, you don't like. There, there's some movies you don't want any uh, if, if something like that were on Lawrence of Arabia uh, <laughs> there would be kind of a problem but the, the cool thing about watching those blow up prints is that they're all original release prints so it's what what the audiences saw when when the movies came out um, and it's it's cool to think about all the all the people who saw them then Titanic would have been a blow-up print, right? Titanic wasn't shot on 65, yeah, yeah. was it? Yeah, that was shot on 35. Um, and the story is that James Cameron paid for those prints to be struck, um, which is maybe just a story, but pre- it seems reasonable, reasonable to, to assume it's true. Um, but I believe they made about a dozen prints of that. I think I would have seen that in 70, because yeah. I definitely saw it at McClurg. I remember cool. that they were doing all that stuff. Yeah. 
So I yeah, mean, this is one 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 thing I know a lot about is what movies were released on seventy millimeter, and yeah. in, in general, <laughs> if you if you well, I won't I won't say I'll do this, but but if you name a movie and I'm like vaguely familiar with, I can probably tell you like what print stock it was released on at the time. Maybe not. Uh, so what got you into film? What made you want to become a projectionist? Uh, I used to go to, or my parents used to take me to Facets Multimedia on Fullerton Avenue, and they were volunteers there. Um, and I was always fascinated by the projection booth um, for years. I went there as like a kid. I was like, you know, tagging along with my parents, and I was like 11 or 12. Okay, you're, you're going then, to Facets at 11. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So that's, that's probably what did it. Um, I was... I I think I was pretty shy, uh, so I didn't I didn't like ask the projectionist to show me anything for like years. <laughs> I would go like every week with my parents, and uh, would always want to go up to the booth, but never never did. And then eventually I did. And um, so were you aware of the booth because you were walking by it, or you were just you could see somebody? Yeah, and the, you know the projectionists the there were real cool. They would you know come down and hang out with us, and um, I think they were doing double duty like managing. Um, you know, managing the box office and that too. So, um, yeah, they were super friendly. Um, but yeah, sort of just being around it. Yeah. It's, it's, a an addiction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first movie that you saw in a theater? Uh, no, I'm told that it might've been my own private Idaho, uh, which is, which is a favorite movie of mine, but it, you know, it's like a tiny infant, <laughs> so okay so i remember when that played so yeah i would guess you were at the esquire could be probably at the Esquire, or maybe the three penny oh maybe on the but the i wasn't saving run. saving stubs at the time yeah if it was my if my parents took me it was probably second run okay guess, all right so yeah. you weren't the kid that was yeah. ruining uh my own private idol no. for me <laughs> okay well what was your first job as a projectionist then uh, first job at the pro- as a projectionist was Museum of Contemporary Art. They were doing an Italian series. Uh, yeah, that was my first. No, that was my second job. My first one ah, was at the uh, Genesee Theater in Waukegan. Whoa! <laughs> and they were sort of revitalizing their film program and doing a screening every Friday and Saturday night. Um, I was still in high school and didn't have a car, so I would get off at like th- off of school at like three p.m. Get on the metro, get to the theater at like five or five thirty, get the movie ready by seven or seven thirty, run the movie. Uh, if it was only if it was only a Friday night screening, it was on, it was on a platter, so we'd have to break it down that night. Nice. So I'd do that. <laughs> Get on the like eleven forty train, which was the last one. If I missed yeah. it, yeah, you was, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, did, how did you get that yeah. job in high school? Uh, I think it was through. It was through a technician I had become friendly with, and he re- he recommended me, and one other person, and uh, yeah, we were doing that for for a couple of years. What kind of movies were you showing? It was like Ghostbusters, Jaws, uh, stuff like that. It's a cool, it's a beautiful theater. It's like I, I, totally. We, Gabe and I know we, we yeah. grew up around there. Gabe, what's your yeah. first movie you ever saw at Genesee? God. I used to go to Belvedere Mall. That doesn't count as the same, <laughs> that's not, as the same that's theater. Not the same. But Genesee uh, had a theater across the street from it called the Academy. Right. They and two you know, you, theaters. You, just go back and forth between both theaters, mm-hmm. you know, all day. You don't remember, Gabe? Well, I remember that, but I mean, it's a little before my time. I wasn't going to movies that much. Okay. I usually went to the drive-in on Forty-One, where they would show the the adult movies at night. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah, you crane your neck to see it. The Kino? <laughs> is that what you're talking about? Yeah. No, no, no. The the what the heck was it called? The one oh, Waukegan, over by Lakehurst. Yeah, but uh, on Washington Street, when you go over the over the ramp. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And if you're driving on 41, you can get a quick glimpse of... They were showing adult movies back then. Yeah, like Russ Meyer stuff. Well, I don't know what it was at the time, but it was... Yeah. You wouldn't do that nowadays. <laughs> no, you can't, because they shut them down. 
So you're at the Genesee. That just kind of blows my mind. And that's, yeah. that's your first job. Right. You know, you were showing the dark crystal the other night. Um, <laughs> and I, I have some PSTD from STD, PTSD <laughs> <laughs> from that movie. Uh, because I remember going to see that at the place across the street from the Genesee, the Academy. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was playing a double feature with Crawl, which you guys have also shown. Yeah. Seventy millimeter. Yeah, that's right. That was, right. That was a hard year for me too. One of the first ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, me and my friend got beat up while we were waiting for our ride. Oh, so no. that yeah. didn't happen this time. I hope. No, it didn't. Nobody beats me up anymore at the <laughs> music box. So then after after that, where do, where do you go? Uh, I think then I got a job at museum. And you're working on platters. Art. Sorry, uh, I was going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, that was my that was system. my only platter, and it wasn't. It's actually it wasn't a platter. It was a it was something called a double mutt, uh -huh. which is two big twelve thousand foot reels side by side in this crazy, like pretty small contraption. And it kind of looks like a dog when you set it up. And the film just feeds out one side and goes up the other side, um, but it's pretty. It's a pretty gnarly system. Um, I'm impressed it worked as well as it did. But. Did it feel like cheating? No, it was. It was. It was harder than than running changeover or any any other stuff, just because yeah. it was so so fussy. <laughs> wow! Wow! So then, what's your next job? Uh, then I worked at Museum of Contemporary Art. That was like a temporary gig. Um, I worked at the Bank of America Cinema, which was the predecessor to the Chicago Film Society. Right. Um, that stuff is and great. That actually might, that might have been my first projection. I, that was si sort of simultaneous with Genesee. Um, I worked at Facets as a projectionist eventually for a little bit. Um, then Music Box, Film Center. I've kind of, you know, once you once you start doing it, you kind of start working everywhere, just because there's so few people who do it now. Hmm. So when did you start at Music Box then? Uh, I want to say not full time, but part time. It's been about ten or eleven years. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> seems longer to me and that was the was that the first time that you worked with 70 when you got over there uh i actually had 70 millimeter installed in my house prior Wait. to that <laughs> just for fun just for fun <laughs> we never actually ran we we ran like a couple test loops and maybe a test reel um but it was it was the the projector i had at home could do 35 and 70 so all right so are you in your house right now yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I don't have the screening room anymore. I, mo I moved a couple times, and during the pandemic, they got dismantled. But for a while, for a while, we had thirty-five and seventy and sixteen at home. And where were you living? That you were able to do that? Uh, an apartment in Hyde Park. Um, uh, for the first, the first, the fir yeah, the first, the first apartment we lived um, below a frat, which was extremely annoying. Except that they didn't mind. If we played the movies real loud, so so that was great, and then we moved to a sort of uh, fussier location and uh, couldn't play the movies quite as loud. How loud do you have to get movies in an apartment over a seventy millimeter projector? Well, the, at the second place we had a booth, so we didn't have to play it as loud. Um, at the first place, the projector was in the room, and really, really, you had to crank it to <laughs> for people to be able to make everything out. But it was, it mean, was a good, it was a good setup. Do you believe this, Ben? This is like living the dream. <laughs> what uh, what were you doing for exhaust? How how were you getting the? Heat oh well, out we there? just had a little little thousand thousand watt lamp house, so just oh, okay. went out into the air, warmed everybody up a bit. Oh my god! <laughs> this is going to take, take me a second. <laughs> so you built? I'm sorry, you built a booth in your second apartment. Yeah, well, the second apartment had um, had a room that was very conveniently located uh, next to the living room, and we knocked a hole through and. Was it a was it a bathroom? Did you sacrifice having a toilet? No, it was it was like an extra bedroom. <laughs> so that when it says uh, screening from the Chicago Film Society collections mm -hmm. uh, on the Chicago Film Society booklet, 
Is that those are yours or the CFA? Those are those are the film societies now. Um, I would say the uh, the film society collection started as my own, and um, as we you know kept existing in the world, more and more people would come to us and say, you know, we have a pile of prints or we have a pile of things that we don't even know what they are um, and donate things. Um, so my initial collection sort of was the seed for that. And then we've been collecting more and more stuff over the years. Um, I know a lot of collectors, um, uh, many of them are like the nicest people I've ever met, but they, I, I didn't want to be the person who's like 70 years old and has a basement full of stuff that's totally rotting and nobody is able to see um, so being able to have an organization, albeit one that I founded, uh, sort of be the take, caretaker for this stuff is, um, was really important. Um, so, I mean, who's all in this network of film exib- exhibitors and collectors? Uh, well, on the collector's side, there's, um, maybe a couple hundred in the U S um, maybe more than that. And, and worldwide you know maybe another few hundred it's pretty small it's smaller than you know posters or blu-rays or comic books or things like that but um so what's the ins and outs of finding prints and programming a festival like say um uh i don't know say say the uh, music box of horrors like uh, like who's or do you just put together a wish list or something? I mean, how does, how does all that work? Yeah, so for that, we have uh, sort of a whole programming team um, that works together to find uh, find prints. Um, a lot of the times, you know, it's... you Maybe you know the movie you want to show, but you don't know the rights holder or you don't know uh, who has the materials on it. A lot of times on more obscure stuff, the rights holder doesn't necessarily have a print. Um, so there's like three, three different elements you need to work with. Um, and when everything lines up and it's real easy, it can take like 10 minutes to book a film. No problem. Uh, Mm. like, you know, Casablanca, no problem. Yeah. Uh, So long as another theater isn't showing the same print that week, you know, um, but other stuff can take like a year or two years to sort out. Um, so yeah, the, I, I actually, I don't do the programming for box of horrors, but, um, but the people who work on that, I know it's a, it's a year long process. Um, and basically before the, 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 the one for the current year has started, they're already talking about next year. Right. Is there a festival? Or a series of films that you've wanted to program that you couldn't convince anybody to get on board with? (laughs) Um... No, I think I can convince. If if I can't convince someone to do it, I'll I'll make it happen one way or another. That you'll you'll laugh. The um the one thing I'd really like to show and get a good audience for is the live action Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle from two thousand. Yeah, <laughs> and I I have a print of it. Um, but it's just finding the right uh, environment for it. Who's in that? De Niro. Okay, um, know this. Yeah, Robert De Niro is fearless leader. Um, Jason Alexander's in it. They're kind of, all all the all the people are really. It's you know the moose and squirrel are the main attraction, and it's written by <laughs> Kenneth Lonergan. No, oh, all right, there you go, right there. Yeah, Have I don't know. Have a feature with Margaret. Margaret. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Perfect. What's a movie that? Uh, what to tell us about a movie that you really wanted to show that you had to, that you spent a year or more tracking down a, uh, the materials? For? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great question. Oh, I'm totally stumped now that I mentioned that. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you know, one one that we did for the Film Society, and actually it screened at, at Wisconsin too, is Hal Hartley's Trust, um, mm. which. Uh, was out in the world and the filmmaker Hal Hartley had, had the rights to it. Um, he actually has the rights to most of his films, which is pretty unusual for an independent filmmaker, especially of that era. 
Um, but he didn't have any existing prints of it. Um, it was a pretty limited release and indie movies around that time, you know, it would, they'd make a, however many prints they would make would play for the, you know, the duration and move around between theaters. Um, so there just weren't any prints left out there, um, and we wrote to him sort of out of the blue and asked if we could make a print, um, if that was even possible, because we really wanted to show the movie. Um, and he was very kind uh, and agreed to it. Um, and then we had to spend like a year and a half sort of figuring out where the money was going to come from to do that. Um, and we worked with a few other organizations um and ended up making a few a few prints uh so there's r1 and then uh one at the academy film archive and at a couple other film archives too um so yeah that's one that's where one where the print was just not didn't exist <laughs> uh, so we had to will it into being wow wow we're very stubborn we don't take no for an answer <laughs> <laughs> good and there's yeah there's a lot of stuff we just haven't been able to track down yet there's unfortunately there's fewer success stories than non-success stories but how that screening of i saw what you did go oh great it was wonderful people dug it yeah yeah it's a favorite of mine yeah we love william castle yeah yeah what what was the, the tingler did you did yeah. you run that uh that that we've screened at the music box um was that you up in the the booth running it uh did i run that i think i got to see it in the audience actually that was fun yeah that was a lot of fun yeah well you got a lot of great stuff coming up for the chicago film society screenings you got all that jazz coming yeah up july 18th how's, how's yeah, that very excited very excited about that one yeah you got Menace to Society, The mm-hmm. Green Ray. I'm excited about The Green Ray. Yeah. And Live in Large. Yeah. So Live in Large is cool. That's from our collection. And we actually we did a little experiment where we got people together at um, Lake Street Screening Room. And we watched um, Real One from like five or six different features in our collection. Just Real One. And, and at the end of it, we had people fill out a card uh to uh you know say which 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 of these they'd like to see the rest of the most right. so that's that's how that ended up on the calendar do you remember uh screening raging bull for a birthday party uh what well, if it was during the pandemic i screened so many no, I think movies it was for birthday parties oh before the pandemic oh. um it was the afternoon yes was it a theater two thing it was a theater two thing yeah, yeah. 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 That was my birthday party. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, Excellent choice. <laughs> how, did, how did somebody make that happen? They they just said, hey, I want to have a private screening of Raging Bull for your birthday. They just call up and they can do that? Yeah. That's right. Well, uh, my wife just we'll take your money. Yeah. <laughs> no she, problem. She checked to see how much it would cost for a 35. And uh, she's like, nah, he's got a Blu-ray around here somewhere. <laughs> Well, that's the thing. Every every year for my birthday, I wake up and put that on, mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's light entertainment. And <laughs> and I was looking for it, and I was like, "Where is my raging balls?" She's like, "I don't know. Where'd you last have it?" Oh, and that's I'm funny. Like, so yeah, you can just call him. And you can watch whatever you want. Gabe, yep. Grease Two, get it going. Grease Two. On no one's done million? Grease Two yet. <laughs> no one's done Grease Two. What a shock! <laughs> what was that deal with you guys loaning out sixteen millimeter projectors during the pandemic? Oh yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, so we were getting pretty restless and frankly depressed during the pandemic because uh, we love showing movies to people, um, and not being able to do that sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this pretty sizable collection of, of films and uh, actually the projectors we were using that came from a collector of um, films and also magic stuff like for magic tricks he had like you know the box where you yeah. cut someone in half and all that it was a weird trip um, but we got the these portable projectors from him in Oskaloosa Iowa um so yeah we had all all this stuff and we were thinking like what how can we 
how can people enjoy this during the pandemic while while we can't gather um and so we made a little google form and um and put the word out that uh if you were if you're interested you can sign up and uh we will lend you a 16 millimeter projector and a few films we get to pick the films um, right and it's the deal is it's it all has to be stuff we haven't looked at yet or haven't watched before so we're like kind of not sure you know is this movie good is this print good <laughs> so um, what were you picking like um what was the f- most fucked up thing that people were playing oh god luckily we didn't uh, we, we would sort of we would nobody got like any stag films or anything like that <laughs> um although some people i'm sure would have been thrilled um but actually well, there was i think there was a reel of like um there was tv commercials but also like spoofs of tv commercials and it was a whole like 1600 foot half hour reel of them um so that was stuff like that was pretty cool um and yeah a lot of uh, just a lot of sort of oddball features that that we hadn't seen before and being able to to read people's comments it was kind of like they were were very detailed and it was kind of like being right in their head and you know watching the thing with them it was really interesting Um, but we did we lent about you know two or two or three dozen of those out over the past year and a half and it's still we're still sort of doing it because so many people signed up and so we're we're doing it as quickly as we can which is not very quickly but uh, we're still loan loan one or two out every month or so yeah that's a great idea yeah it was also really great to see how people uh we're able to use this this technology really easily um you know because when we talk about 35 projection it's you know it take, takes a few years to get really skilled at it um but these 16 millimeter projectors are really made for like classroom use and just so beautifully designed you know you can show someone how to use them and if you just you know emphasize like don't don't turn anything too hard and be be gentle they'll you know people get it yeah. right right I mean, famously, you guys have a print of 2001. Do you guys have any other prints over at the Music Box? Uh, there's some. Uh, we have a, a pretty sizable trailer collection. If you go to Box of Horrors, a lot of the trailers you see in between shows, actually those are pulled from, but every year it's about half Music Box collection, half Film Society collection. Uh-huh. Um, those take forever to put together. <laughs> it's so much work. Um I got a Cape Fear trailer in case you want it. Oh, cool! That's good to know. Okay, I'll keep it, keep it in here. Um, Which Cape Fear? Scorsese, Scorsese Cape Fear. Yeah. Oh, wow! On thirty-five. Yeah. On thirty-five. Yeah. <laughs> it's at the practice space. I'd love to see it one day. Yeah, bring up. I will run it for okay. you. Okay. Yeah. I will. So, what's more fun to uh, to screen? Two thousand one or Lawrence of Arabia? Uh, this year, Lawrence of Arabia was more fun because I've seen 2001 so many times. Uh, I still love it. I still notice new things about it. Um, but especially after the the pandemic happened right in the middle of last 70 Fest. And so that was my, my worst memory of, of all that stuff was running 2001 and, and, all this terrible stuff happening in the world. Um, really? so, uh, but now that, now that this festival is over and it went so well, I feel totally fine about it. Yeah. I've seen 2001 probably as much as any movie in a theater. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it tons of different ways, but I think this year, like I sat in the fourth row and it was almost oh, like close. the screen, <laughs> almost like the, looking up at the screen was almost like looking up at the monolith and it yeah. was perfect. Yeah. It was really perfect. What's the worst thing that you hate running over there? I guess every, everyone doesn't, nobody likes running the room that much. <laughs> um, okay. But I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I manage all the projectionists and do the schedule. So it, I only, I only run ro- the room if it's an emergency and everybody's out of town <laughs> or something like that. I think that, you know. Why? What pisses There's you certain off about people it so who, have, much? who have run it many times. Uh, I I don't even mind it. I've I've only 
I I watched it once and I don't really care about it one way or another. But the audience is so mean spirited and they throw <laughs> spoons at the screen, uh, oh, which oh, I, I hate. Yeah, um, yeah. So, <laughs> what is with the audiences? Every time that there's a movie from the '80s and there's something on a computer, they think it is so. Oh yeah, funny. I have no idea. And uh, also, if if like a price for something comes up mm-hmm. in the past, like you know, if, if the price of gas or like uh, a VHS tape right. or a bag of potato chips, it's it's somehow <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> right. What do you got coming up that you're excited about at the Music Box? Uh, I'm just relieved that the 70 millimeter festival yeah. is over. I didn't watch any movies over the weekend. It was great. <laughs> I went to the beach. Wonderful. Really? That doesn't yeah. sound like. Uh, I know, I'm, 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 I'm very excited about all that jazz. Um, that's one I, I watched for the first time over the pandemic, and I'm really excited to. Really, you've never seen it before. No. Yeah. Yeah. Really, it's stoked. a good one. Yeah. I, I don't know if I like it as much as Star 80, but I, I do like it. I haven't seen Star 80. Ooh. It's a, it's a ride. It's, yeah. it's a rough one, <laughs> but, but it's pretty great. You're not a fan of all that jazz, are you, Ben? No, I am. Oh, you are? Okay. Uh, you, nobody else I know is, but uh, I, that, <laughs> it came out in 79, right, Julian? Yep. Yep. I remember, so I was 13, and I saw that a couple times in the theater, which oh, cool. feels like a very adult movie for me at that age. Yeah. And I think I was sort of proud of myself that I was kind of into it. But I haven't seen it since, so I don't know. But my memories of it were like, yeah, right on. I'm seeing a real movie for adults. What about working with black and white film? I mean, how is that different than color film? Um, for the projectionist, uh, it's it's almost the same. Um you know, if you ha- if you have like, for example, a reel of trailers and it's going from black and white to color, the focus is going to be slightly different between them, so you have to adjust mm. accordingly. Um, one is it of the dirtier? most. Do you get dirtier from it? No, no certain. Well, certain eras of it um, will uh, do something called shed, shed in the gate. Mm. Um, although usually that that's something that happens on like a brand new print. Um, I know when Schindler's List came out, there was a problem with the... There was dual inventory on that, and there were black and white prints, and then black and white prints on color stock, and the black and white prints had a problem with shedding. Um, I'm trying to figure out if anybody listening to this podcast is going to understand what you guys are talking about. Cause I'm, <laughs> I just picture that's, a dude back there hitting the, the problem. Button, hit the play button and Fuck go. Em. Right? You just hit the play and go. No, no. that's not what he does. No. We don't see this stuff. Your guys are behind the curtain. Yeah. Yes, he is the man behind the curtain. Right. The wizard. And, and that's what's great about what you do, Julian, is that there is a performance aspect to it. And most people, if you're doing it right, and you do, most people won't even know. Most people would be like Gabe sitting there going, well, what's the big deal? He just presses play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it, when he's doing a good job, we don't notice anything. It's just right. seamless. So maybe I've just been watching good projectionists press play. No, I'll, I'll, <laughs> you, you've been watching digital. You haven't wa- been watching. Well, yes, you're right. Yeah. When I was younger. Yeah, well, there's, there's plenty of terrible digital presentations at various multiplexes, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. How hard was that for you when digital took over? I'm I'm still I'm still sore about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's kind of, it's it's depressing because a lot of uh, it, well it's it's also amazing because the the infrastructure of showing film at all uh, is so so huge. Um, and we've gone from you know movies being released on thirty five on like three thousand screens at a time. Um, to almost none at all being released on film. And if something's released on film, there's maybe a handful of prints. Um, so it's it's amazing there's, there's enough business left for Kodak and the film labs. Um, there's only a couple film labs left. Um, but uh, it's, it, it seems like it'll, it'll survive for, you know, many more decades if it if we can keep it at least at this rate 
Um, but yeah, the number of people who got laid off or had to, you know have have a career change uh, was just um, very sad. Would you compare it to the survival of vinyl, or is that not? not it's a it's different. It's it's similar and different. Um, you know, vinyl records. It's easy for an individual to go and and buy one and and you know touch it and interact with it. Um, it's it's hard for um, for film, I think, to be that tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's th- that's also sort of a matter of like educating audiences and and letting them know what they're watching. Um, you know, telling them if they're seeing a cool archival print that it's that it's something special. Um, you know, there's there's um, the. the Part part of what I love about film is, of course, the way it looks. It's beautiful, um, but there's also so much history in the technology. Um, and I think when when people can understand when when those two things sort of meet, um, just the beauty of the image, um, and then all this this history, um, I think then it can sort of break through to audiences. Um, but it is a little. It's tricky to explain, and you know, there's so so much tech stuff that that yeah people don't know what i'm talking about half the time <laughs> right good you know, good shed, shedding prints and all that <laughs> well it's fascinating to me and i love it and you know i i'm glad you could do this julian i i heard a rumor that you're working on something earthquake related can you talk about that Ooh, like the movie earthquake yeah yeah uh how did you know uh, I, I haven't even begun to. I've, uh, it's only a shell so far, yeah. but but yeah, there was there was a screening in um, at the Somerville Theater, and I'm pals with the projectionist there, and they said the print the the print from Universal is is faded, but the sound is is still very loud. So I think that's I think that's yeah yeah I think that's a contender for next year for sure. Oh, and you would do sense around, bring, bring we'd, sense yeah, we. I'm not sure how we'll rig it up, but we'll make we'll make it happen. So long as the so long as the plaster doesn't fall from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, what's the one? What's the one that's uh, the one with the extra screens that go around the audience? Cinerama. Oh, like Cinerama. Cinerama. Yeah. That's next for you, right? Cinerama. <laughs> I don't Convert think we can fit that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Keep doing God's work over there. Yeah. See you guys at the movies. Okay, you're-